Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Fortales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fortales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by my friend Tommy Yanolis. He is co-founder of Ops Analytica, a system we're going to get into in a little bit. Uh, but Tommy, why don't you say hello and give a little bit of backstory? Sure. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Joseph. Uh, so uh, I'm Tommy Yanolis. I am one of the co-founders of Ops Analytica, like uh, Joe said. But really, I'm a restaurant tour by heart. Like my Grandparents both are immigrants to this country. I'm Greek and Puerto Rican. So I used to have a joke that I was born in a dish pit, you know, but <laughs> the reality is what's ironic is that, um, you know, I started in restaurants at 14 in Columbia, Maryland. My mom would drop me off at the uh, Jerry subs and pizza. I had a work permit and I learned how to cook steak and cheeses. And I kind of never really looked back from that. But, um, what's interesting is that both my grandparents had restaurants, but my parents were tech people. So I was kind of bred to get into restaurant technology because I had the restaurant background and the love of restaurants. But then my parents, uh, my dad was a rocket scientist and my mom worked at Lockheed. And so Flex. I had the tech background yeah, in the middle there. And so I ended up doing restaurants at the beginning and then I uh, morphed into tech. So that's kind of my story. Since 14, I've been doing either restaurants or tech, I suppose. I love that. So you're, you're Greek and Puerto Rican and I am Sicilian and Puerto Rican, or as I say, Sicilian Rican, uh, nice. it's a lot easier. Yeah. I'm a Greek Rican. So there I you go. <laughs> wait, so wait, you're, so that's, what's amazing about America is that in no other time in the world with a Sicilian and a Puerto Rican get together and have kids, but yet in this one phone call, you have two guys that are white that are Puerto Rican and some, and I'm Greek. So we're like, 50 feet away from your players. Right. That's, That's amazing. right. We're probably related anyway. I make the joke that yeah. Sicily was invaded more than any other country in the history of mankind. Uh, we, <laughs> our, our island just got it from every power that was rising from Romans to Persians to uh, North Africa. The list goes on. The Moors, um, yada, yada. So truly, uh, as my grandma would say, a Heinz 57 uh, pickle kind of thing. Well, absolutely. And my grandfather was from Crete, so they had been invaded by the Turks. And so he left Crete after like everyone was so poor and beat down for hundreds of years. Yeah. And he came to the U.S. Crete is a beautiful island that um, I don't want to talk too much about because I want to keep it safe from tourism. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a beautiful island in general. So let's get into, I mean, I wish I could say my my parents were rocket scientists. Um they, they weren't, but they were brilliant, hard workers, and I love them to death. Um, but we're in this world of data um, yeah. more now than ever. And I think where the restaurant industry has been very slow to adopt, it is absolutely supercharged and steamrolled into this world almost overnight. Um, yes, of course, because of the great P word pandemic. Um, but obviously, all the other things that are coming from it, like challenges in labor, supply chain, uh, sure. list goes on. Um, so data right now is on the lips of every restaurant leader. Uh, but that, that word is huge. Even though it's four letters, it is 
ginormous. So boiling it down, what is the most crucial critical data a restaurateur or brand leader needs to know, I would say on a daily or weekly uh, weekly basis, what, what finger, what pulse does the finger need to be on in your opinion? You know, honestly, I, there is no one size fits all answer, right? Because if you like, so for instance, I, like for a while, I managed one of the PF Chang's, uh, I was a floor manager at a PF Chang's back in like Tyson's corner, Virginia. And so that restaurant, we were cranking sales out of that place. I mean, we actually added about $80,000 a week in sales. So sales weren't our problem, right? Like we knew we had the sales. We were on a 90 minute wait on a Monday night. So for that restaurant, the data that they wouldn't be as freaked out about sales, um, they might be looking more at like their food costs or labor costs, obviously some of those controls, but like rent, things like that, those weren't problems for that PF Chang's because they were just rolling in money, right? Mm -hmm. And so I guess the data that you need to look at is where are you uh, having issues, right? Or what are you trying to do? And what's the status of your restaurant? Because not to say that they shouldn't be looking at costs and all those other structures, but if you're a single unit operator who's out there, who's just getting by, right? Then your your uh, KPIs are different than the KPIs of that PF Chang's because we were looking at how can we squeeze like we were having record Saturdays. How can we get this Saturday to thirty thousand for dinner? You mm-hmm. know what I mean. Whereas like one of my last restaurant jobs, I was uh, uh, working at Quiznos at the mm-hmm. time, and the, my first job at Quiznos was franchise assistance program manager. So I was the franchise assistance program manager for the Quiznos franchisees in 2008 during the downturn and then also during the Quiznos implosion. So those guys, their KPIs and the data that they needed to figure out, which was, am I going to make my rent? Can't? How many people can I afford to staff today? How much do I have to work at my other job to keep money at the, uh, to just pay for the restaurant? are different than the KPIs of a big store. So I gave you no answer at all, really, because it is different based off of where your business is currently sitting and, and also what you're managing to, right? So like if you're managing, like like once again, that PF Chase, if we're just trying to get covers up, that's, that would be the KPI we'd be staring at. How do we do that number so we get it all translates into more profits down, you know? As yeah, I think there needs to be, um, you know, so for instance, there, there's the data that comes on the operational side, which in my, um, from my view, is a whole new world. Uh, not not yeah. that it's operations, but operations has been traditionally pretty analog in a lot of <laughs> ways. Like there, there's been data, of course, sure. um, but not to the extent that we have now, especially when you start roping in HR systems, um, supply chain management and inventory management and you know POS data. I mean, finally, we have POS systems that are absolutely um, challenging the old guard. And that's not to throw shade at the old guard. It's just, look, there will be challengers. It's in every business. Um, yeah. and, and, and challengers are are good keeps us all on our feet yay capitalism um <laughs> so what but what i see is there's that and then there's marketing data that's coming through and i'm not even talking about all the other data that are out there sure but just between those two systems it, it's symbiotic in so many ways but i think with great power comes responsibility but with great power also comes I think irresponsibility. So you you can get data drunk pretty quick and you can start drawing parallels that lead you down a path that is actually, um, 
I don't want to use the word dangerous, but it, it, it it's there's uh, no correlation. Right. Yeah. Where it's like, or, or you start to solve a problem that actually doesn't exist. And so I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but I, I believe it was Mitsubishi Corporation. Um, a, a gentleman there founded the uh, five wise uh, approach to unpacking problems. Um, and let's be honest, it was probably his wife, but he took credit for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the idea for those that don't know um, is essentially by asking why five times, you can actually find the root of the problem. And so what I see a lot of leaders do in every, in many industries and hell, even in, in politics today is see a problem, address the problem with a solution that actually doesn't address the problem, but more the symptom. And I, I call it, um, I need to find a better way of saying this, but it's like putting a bandaid on a cancer patient. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, I'm sure they had a cut, but that's actually not why they were feeling the way they were feeling. It's, there's something worse going on. Anyway, I think data gives us the ability to do that. And so how much, um, in your experience do you see, uh, the need for leaders to understand true problem solving techniques? I think it's huge. And I, I do agree with you. I, I think with, especially in the restaurant industry, you know, it went from basically analog to, uh, like just beyond, like now we have AI went from, an, went from an eight track to AI in about two years. That's right. And so, you know, and what's interesting, if you look at the restaurant industry is that, and it, we'll, we'll sort of tag onto the operations data here in a second, but you know, they've always had great data on sales, right? Like that's always been where the investment's been is always to get sales data. Um, you get labor data. That's relatively easy. Once you have a POS or a, a scheduling program, food cost data is relatively easy as well too, because you're just going to invoices. Inventory gets hard because the, the physical, task of doing inventory is always just, you know, it takes a long time and it's kind of an arduous, horrible pain in the butt thing. So a lot of restaurateurs decide not to do it mm -hmm. or they do it like, you know, they just don't do it well, even with all the software out there. You know, I've talked to a bunch of the inventory software guys and they've been like, hey, man, it's the easiest thing in the world is two people counting one guy writing it down, one guy saying, you know, three out of 10 or whatever. But then and so, and then we had customer satisfaction data. And those have been the main sources of data for like the last 10 or 15 years, right? But which is basically like a thousand years of prehistory, like in the last 15 years. But now what happened is uh, they've had that. And then they use that data to back into everything else, right? So they said, okay, well, my profits are good and my sales are good and my customer satisfaction is good. That's a good manager. They're doing a great job, right? But it, that, that doesn't mean that that restaurant couldn't be doing twice as much in sales and twice as much in profits. You have no way to gauge that. Um, and so like operations data really only became accessible. And that's kind of what we do uh, with the invention of the tablet. Because mm -hmm. now tablets and, and smartphones to some extent, but at the beginning it was tablets, that that gave us an ability to start tracking other types of data that are actually really important. Because now with operations, like being able to track operations, you have to realize sales, food costs, labor costs, all that other stuff is lagging. It's a lagging indicator of how well you're operating, right? It doesn't like sales predicts operations, operations predicts sales. If like, you know, marketing predicts sales, right? It's kind of the same thing in that 
all these activity that's happening is going to either enable sales and hopefully more importantly, enable the second sale after the fact that the return customer. Mm-hmm. So having, so now, and I wanted to just point that out because it's important now that we have operations data because that is the missing key that we never had before. And that's what allows us to not have to back in and back into the number and guess at what's actually happening, right? Now we can actually see what's actually happening and then also compare that to those lagging indicators and go, hey, when this is happening poorly, sales and profits go down. Hey, when we're doing a really good job of X, Y, or Z, sales and profits go up. And so operations data, I think, is is really, um, it's brand new. I mean, we've only, we've only been in business for seven years. I think some of our competitors have been in business for 10, mm-hmm. but like, you know, this is a brand new data, but it's the contextual data that a lot of these leaders need to make better decisions, right? So what I would suggest is that if you don't have access to your operations data, then you have to really do a lot more um, thinking, crowdsourcing, talking to other people, really be careful Presuming. to jump off the cliff, right? Yeah. With, oh my gosh, sales are down do this, pull this lever. And all of a sudden you're pulling the wrong lever. But if you can get a more complete data picture, then it's easier to make a data-driven decision. That's right. And I think data-driven decisions are, is, is the standard that people want to get to. Um, and I think what I, what I see though, is making sure that it's the right data, which I think you can see yeah. to illustrate quite well. So a scenario, for instance, um, when you know how much burn you have, uh, on your inventory, let's say at a bar. So you yeah. know that you have X amount of, uh, you know, um, liquid and you have X amount of burn on that liquid. And maybe you assign, let's say you say to reduce that burn, I'm going to give each bartender the ability to give away X amount of drinks as value adds to customers. And by Friday, they've given away their bank. And then on Saturday, they have an angry customer or customer who deserves a little extra. You need to be able to empower those people to say, yeah, even though it's you're out of your allotted, uh, you know, your allotted budget for giveaways, you can still do that. Because yep. what happens is like, oh, I'd love to give you a drink, but I'm not allowed to because I've been restricted. And I think that's a bad use of data. Um, and I think we have to make sure as leaders to ensure that hospitality excellence is not hindered by the knowledge afforded by good data. Um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I've been thinking about this, like, and I was thinking of like the SAT, the typical SAT question a lot, because I've been thinking about culture a lot, just in general and, and whatnot. And it's like, uh, tactics are to strategy, which, uh, as systems are to culture, right? So that example that you kind of just gave there is a cultural thing. Like, Hey, our culture is we're going to take care of our great customers and people are having a good time. We're going to, you know, occasionally offer them a drink and really make them have this amazing experience. But if you don't have a system in place to execute your culture, then you just become another entity where you're trying to tell all your employees, Hey, we're this culture of greatness. But then every time you try to execute the culture, because there's no system in place to deal with it properly, then they end up just going, ah, you're just the man. You're just another organization that said you're going to be one thing, but you do another, you, you care more about the profits that, you know, whatever. And it just kind of goes on and you get that disenfranchised employee out of that. Right. And so, what you're talking about is exactly that. Yeah, you have to have like the data, but if you're going to have a system in place, because 
then you got to have a system in place and you've got to let people utilize it. Um, even though sometimes it might throw your number off a little bit, right? Because you, have, you don't want to like cut off people at their knees because then they don't want to do stuff. Yeah, that's right. So let, let's let's kind of turn the table on um, how data is affecting uh, strategies for attracting customers. We talked about the sales and traffic numbers. Yeah. And, and I think what I'm seeing, maybe you agree or disagree, I'd love to hear your opinion, but with this rapid rise in inflation and the um, pending recession that will come afterwards, I mean, most, most um, f- fiscal-minded people are predicting that a recession will come right behind this or at best stagflation. Um, Anyway, with that, I I see in what has happened historically is people start to look to save money. They look to be a little bit more frugal in their approach to expenditures. And that's usually starts with the industry our our, our industry, the restaurant industry, Um, eating out becomes a little bit less frequent. Um, The amount of uh, per check, is reduced, um, yada, yada. So how, how can data help leaders find that sweet spot of quality value and of course, profitability? Um, that's a really good question. You know, I already, well, just a side note, I can already tell that the restaurants in my area are changing portion sizes and they're optimizing their food. And this happened in 2008 as well, because I, I don't remember, but like, in 2008, if you weren't paying attention, portion sizes started to shrink. But what I thought was, which I don't mind as much, but what I don't like is when people start to engineer the food down. And when I worked at Quiznos, this was always happening. There was some guy that would come in, some turkey guy, right? And he'd be like, hey, we injected more fat, but beaks, whatever, into this turkey. And so we can save you like a penny a pound, you right. know? But then you look at like oh, 5,000 restaurants, a penny a pound, that actually and starts adding up, right, pretty pretty quickly um, towards your food cost number. But I remember there were certain restaurants, and I won't mention their names, uh, but like, you know, I couldn't eat their burgers anymore because I was just, I would always feel sick afterwards because they were just you know, they were just optimizing down, 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 so they could keep their prices the same, they keep attracting customers, but then the quality of the food, it wasn't, it's not the quality, it's just the amount of fat that's getting injected into everything gets worse because that's cheaper, right? Yeah, the, the so, cheap additives, yep. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that was a real issue. So when you're talking about data, uh, how are these guys going to use data? I think the key is going to be is, it really just comes down to like when we talk data, like let's just demystify it. What we really want to know is what's really happening in our businesses. That's all data is, is I sit at corporate and I can't be in every store every minute of the day. And so I need to figure, but I have to make decisions for this entire chain. How I need to understand is what's really happening in my business. What do my customers really think about this? Like that's all data is. Um, and they're going to have to use that and they're going to have to focus group these food items and all of these different moves they're trying to make so they don't destroy their brand and they don't anger customers so that they won't come back. Right. Because just like in my example with that burger place, I couldn't eat those burgers. So I stopped going. So Mm -hmm. they, they kept their margins intact and they didn't raise prices, but they lost me as a customer for several years. Cause every time I went there, I felt sick. Right. And so, I just think in general, uh, what restaurant leaders are going to have to do is as they start to make these moves, I think they just have to be 
researching, focus grouping it, looking at the data, looking at the customer satisfaction, doing all those things, and they should be testing it. Like that's another thing that the restaurant industry does not really. McDonald's does it well. Everybody else, I'm kind of like, eh. Like they do it amazingly. If you're going to do something, test it in 20 restaurants collect a ton of data, spend some money, put some people in those restaurants, have someone interviewing people when they leave. How did you feel about that sandwich? What did you right. like about this or that? And actually collect a bunch of data and then make an informed decision. Don't just jump out of the plane, you know, and go full bore across 5,000 stores because you don't know what that damage or positivity could be. It's a very scary thing to do in today's world. And yeah, by the even way, on the smaller scale. Yeah, yeah, like even on a smaller scale. So like even if you have like 15 restaurants or 10 restaurants, I mean, what you just said in that order is so very important. And um, just to repeat it is uh, research, you know, what what do people want? Um, yep. How can you tap into, I believe it was Greg Creed that established this word, uh, category use occasions. How can you start to own more category use occasions for your restaurant? Research that focus group it. And when you focus group, I, I both love and hate focus groups because a focus group that is not the right size, either too big or too small, being asked the wrong questions yeah. is incredibly dangerous. Um, and it can send you down the wrong path. And then once you have a focus group and you get that data and you, you re-engineer what you need to re-engineer, and then you go to market test, you have to market test beyond what I call the honeymoon period. And I, I've been known to say this, like too often leaders benchmark the honeymoon and it's like, dude, don't benchmark the honeymoon. Like you're never going to win. You know, every new product will have that initial bump and then it'll level out. You need to wait for that level out to find out the real benchmark and to see if it's actually a viable product without marketing and then bring in the marketing. So uh, I'm saying this, it's hot button for me is because we, we've worked with a couple of clients. One in particular, who will go unnamed, decided to launch a variation on their core product. That variation was um, a bowl, like, you know, your protein kind of rice yeah. bowl thing. In theory, it makes sense because you see a lot of brands doing it. And I think that's where a lot of re restaurant leaders go uh, awry as well. They see what other brands do, think that it's a win, and then they emulate. <laughs> but you have to be careful not to emulate a bad move or a bad idea or a strategic move by a, a competitor or another brand that, that launched that product um, without the same basis or goals. And what I mean by that is uh, sometimes leaders will launch a product that is meant to uplift or guide perceptions of the rest of the menu, meaning it's not meant to be popular. It's not meant to be profitable. It's sure. meant to uplift or, or guide perceptions. Well, if you emulate that, you end up with a failure of a product because your goals were profitability or popularity. And so this is such a huge issue because products like that inevitably fail. And so this particular person or group, uh, they launched these, um, it tested quote unquote, well, the problem is it was only in market for in like two locations for a short amount of time. They sure. rolled it out. They put marketing dollars behind it. And inevitably that honeymoon dropped down to the plateau marked as a failure. 
And then what we unpacked is like there were a lot of other issues that did not check the boxes of consumer wants and needs because it was never focus grouped. It was just all emulation. That is such a dangerous path, especially we have so much data that can help us. Um, so let's talk about that. How, you know, how, how can data, uh, specifically data on the Ops Analytica platform, help restaurant leaders with some hot button challenges today, like securing better labor and talent, uh, helping with supply chain issues, and then of course the gold standard of profitability. Sure. So our, our platform really focuses on uh, managing and measuring human activity, which has always been a black hole because you can't be in every restaurant every day, right? So you don't know what's actually happening. And so what we focus on is how do we help at the store level? How do we help these guys control what they can control, right? We're coming into a time, like you said, inflation. People aren't going to be spending as much. They're not going to be going as much. Um, and so when that happens, right, it, then your daily operations have to be even better. Even though we're in a tight labor market, it doesn't matter. You have to be even better because your sales are going to naturally be I wouldn't say your sales because you're going to raise prices. Your occasions are going to be coming down. And that puts all kinds of extra stress on the management team at the store level because now they have to deal with perishability and all these other attributes that are happening around them, right? They already have tough labor. So that's already an issue that they're dealing with. And the, and the reality is too, is that as customers, we're giant babies now. Like if it's not perfect, I'm never going back. You've, you, it's been, you've like, soiled my good name. You spit on my crest, you know? <laughs> and I'm going to put it all over the internet. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm going to just destroy you because there weren't napkins in the napkin holder. And like, and so what we always focus on is at a high level, you got to be controlling what you can control. Like you can't, you're not responsible for inflation or gas prices or the labor market or any of these things, but you are responsible for is making sure that in your four walls that I get the best possible experience I can have every time. Because that's the only, if you don't do that, there are 50 other places I can go within a half a mile of my house that do, does exactly what you do. You know, I mean, we're not living in the 1940s where there was one diner in town and if you pissed off the guy, he just wouldn't serve you. Like, you know, I can get eggs anywhere within five minutes. So that's the world we live in. So you have to ignore all these macro factors and really drill in on how am I going to control what I can control best, right? So that's the number one thing. And so that so our platform, we help the managers uh, control what they can control better by scheduling out their days, making sure that they don't miss the little things, right? And, and I want to point out this too. So often when somebody has a bad experience in one of our locations, no matter what our business is, it's generally not like a catastrophically bad experience. It's not like someone punched you in the face or like wrestled you to the ground and spit in your mouth or, you know, this horrible thing. It's generally just little things that you already knew about that you just miss because you're busy, you're tired, you're stressed, you don't have enough employees that just lowered, like they had an expectation of what the expense was going to be. And it was a hundred percent and they had a 70%. It's generally not these massive, you know, like the guy was yelling at me. It's just the bathroom was dirty. My didn't have salt on the table. I had to wait for ketchup. I never got a refill on my soda. It's just all these little things. It's all death by a thousand cuts. Right. And yep. so, and, and that's what's happening to us. So, 
going back to like your initial question, because I know I've sort of rambled on there, uh, it's using the data. It's really about making sure that you're just controlling what you can control within your four walls, focusing on your core operations, and then using that to extrapolate out, okay, now that I, these are the stores that are doing that and we're doing okay here. These are the stores that aren't doing that. How do we boost those stores up to get their management team to start focusing more on these details so that we can, so we can have a chance of coming through this, you know, probably with reduced profitability, but at least we can come through it and get out alive, you know? That's right. Yeah, it's it's difficult, especially when operational models are changing uh, drastically so in some cases and, and quickly, of course, like you said. Yeah, um, it, it's really tough. So like the salt on the table, um, you know, I know that's anecdotal, but that can be enough to push someone over the edge, uh, not getting my refills. Well, as we get to more of this self-service model, I see a future where casual dining, casual full service dining, um, learns from fast casual and goes more of the traditional fast casual model where you have someone that you order from, or it's simply just from your phone or a tabletop kiosk. Um, and then you just basically have a team of people that are servicing the client. And that to me in a lot, in a lot of ways is much better where the focus is put on actual hospitality and service and not the menial tasks of taking an order and delivering food by a singular person. Cause that's their table. Um, of course, some things have to change and, and some mentalities have to change. And I think while that happens, um, with full service, I, I think it'll open up the door for that white traditional white glove, white tablecloth, although we don't see a lot of literal white gloves and white tablecloths any longer, um, that level of high touch rock star servers, um, and that experience. And I think there'll be a greater divide between the two. Whereas now it's kind of not, I mean, of course there's, there's your elevated experiences, but in general, the full service model hasn't moved in a very long time. Well, I totally agree with you. So we went to London a couple of years ago with the kids and we went to this restaurant. It was huge. It was a, it was a big restaurant for London, especially with real estate prices there, but it was a big, big restaurant in the U S too. And it had like about 40, 50 tables and it was a pub and you walk up to the bar and you ordered from the barman and then someone brought you your food. And if you wanted another beverage, you walk back up and it was a full, but it was a nice restaurant. Like it wasn't fast food, you know? And then eventually the barman came out and just said, Hey, would you guys like another round of drinks? But it wasn't like our traditional sort of like Applebee's Chili's scenario. Right? So cut to last week, I had the opportunity to go and watch these serve these robots work in a restaurant. And uh, I'm, there's a company here in town and they've got serving robots. Uh, they're Chinese guys. Uh, and the guy was telling me their head of marketing, who's uh, originally from China, but has lived here his whole life, 23 years or something. He was like, in China, when you go into a restaurant, there's someone that greets you. They tell you where to sit. You scan a barcode on your phone. You order right off your phone and then robots deliver the food. And these robots are like, they look kind of like R2T did with a bunch of trays in the middle. Yep. And the robots are smart enough that you can literally, it will pull up to your table and go, hi, you had the hamburger. It's on the top shelf and just grab it and whatever. And so that's where they've gone. Right. And so I, I think there's not, you're going to only get servers, like you said, at the high end restaurant in the near future. 
you'll still have the same building. You'll still have the Chili's building because they can't redesign all those buildings. But you're going to still have the Chili's or the Applebee's or that mid-level IHOP, Denny's building. Um, but you're going to order on your phone or order from uh, on your phone or a tablet, a Ziosk or something like that. And you're going to have maybe a person come and service you, but maybe not. You know what I mean? Like, because like, if you talk about the labor problems in the industry, the hardest thing in the world is to find servers and bussers um, and food runners in these restaurants where they're not making enough money, right? It's really easy to get people to work at Capitol Grill or Ruth's Chris or, you know, these other Nobu because they make seventy-five dollars to $100,000 a year and they're very happy. And even the bussers are walking out of there with a hundred and fifty in cash every meal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when you work at a Denny's and your average check is like, you know, probably average cover is like 12 bucks, 10 bucks. You might make four or six bucks a table and you're not that busy all the time, right? All of a sudden you make 40 or 50 bucks a shift. You can't keep people for that, right? When there's so many easier ways to make money that don't require being on your feet running around all over God's creation. So like, I do think you're going to have fast food, which is a drive-through model. You're going to have QSR, which is a counter service model, right? Where there I'll either go get my food or someone to bring it to me. You have fast casual, which will be robots and ordering on your phone, but a, a slightly different meal menu, you know, occasion sit a little bit longer. And then that will all be basically self-service to some extent. And then you'll have like the fine dining where you'll go and have an amazing experience. Yeah. And the people who want to be waiters, professional servers and bartenders, they will all move the best ones that truly love that job will all move into all of the fine dining positions and those jobs just won't exist in anything below. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and that's where they belong. Anyway, they're going to get more money yeah. there. They're going to get more satisfaction. The, the, the quality of guest at that level, yeah. uh, although persnickety, it's worth it. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, so I, I think it's pretty great. Um, all right. So let, let's dive into Ops Analytica. I feel like we've danced sure. around it a lot and we probably touched on yeah. a lot of the benefits, but I, I would love the listenership to hear just a little bit more about this platform. Sure. Um, how does Ops Analytica give people control of their operational data or access to? And, um, you know, what are some wins that you've seen for clients, uh, like those quick wins that get them really sure. excited about the platform? Sure. So, there isn't a multi-location business, specifically restaurants in the world that don't have checklists, right? And so they all have checklists. They might be a piece of paper on the wall. They might be the red book from the old day. They might be a clipboard on a piece of paper. But checklists are the most effective way for a team of people who have to do something to not miss things, right? Like, hey, did you check the, is the light on? Is the music on? Is the bathroom clean? Blah, blah, blah. All the way through line checks, food safety, all that stuff. So what we do with our clients is we take all of their processes and procedures and we enter them into the tablet. And by simply just that one thing, by getting them into the platform and you start having your team doing that stuff on the system versus doing it on paper. The first thing you realize is that your team wasn't doing it on paper. The second thing you realize is that now I can actually see how my team is working. Um, And number three, you start controlling what you can control and you start missing the little things that are irritating your customers, right? So just by making that move from paper to the tablet, 
you now have like you're just going to naturally if you hold your team accountable to doing what they're supposed to do you're going to see an increase in customer satisfaction um that increase in customer satisfaction is the first thing the second thing you'll start to see is you'll start to see uh, a reduction, uh, increase in profit, and generally a reduction in food costs. One of our clients told us one time, I can tell within a week if someone's not doing their, their stuff on the platform because I see comps going up, right? And that's because people aren't checking the food. They're not tasting the food. They're not checking the quality and they're having to throw away a bunch of food. It's getting sent back. They're having to remake it, that type of thing. That's brilliant. So, Customer satisfaction goes up. Food costs generally will come down just a little bit because you're not comping as much stuff. And then ultimately, over time, your sales will go up if you're just taking better care of your customers and they're having better experiences. And the things that we really control are like all the setup stuff, all that pre-shift stuff. Obviously, your servers and your and your help have to do a good job. But like what we're really focusing on are those tasks that you need to have done so that you uh, can maximize your sales period every single shift. Right. And so and so that's kind of the basis of it. We take all those processes, we schedule them out for the day and then. You know, it kind of goes on fire and forget mode at that point. And one of the things that we can do too, especially for like small chains, right? Like, as you were mentioning those guys, like they don't have an, a giant team at corporate. They got a couple guys at corporate that have to handle everything. So a lot of what our teams are doing is they'll put in stuff. It's kind of like you set it up once and then it just runs forever. So you might say, Hey, it's April right now. I need to check my AC every April to make sure that when the summer hits, my AC is working. So you can literally create a checklist that runs from April 1st to April 30th that says, hey, go get your AC service, tell us if there's any problems, whatever it is. And you can set that up for April and October for the heat. And then you just literally schedule it one time. And then now every April and October, you're checking those things. And so you can start to get everything kind of operationalized, but not like in a binder where no one's ever going to look at it. It's never been pulled off the shelf since it was stuck there. It's actually happening live every day. It's morphing based on, hey, it's Friday, got to do hood vents, you know, mats are on Saturdays. You can just keep every little task kind of under control. And it's kind of like having like if you had your best manager ever, imagine if your best manager ever was in a tablet in every one of your locations telling your team what to do like on a given day, right? But then, and that's just the actual day-to-day -day operations. The data, as soon as you get one checklist in the system, now you see the data. So it's flowing in and we're tracking everything. And one of the cool things that we can do that no one else can do like anywhere is we have a thing called data accuracy scoring where we can actually tell you if the data is good or bad and with one button click you can actually look you can filter out all the bad data so we were talking about data driven decision making earlier because we control the means of input right most analytics platforms they they sit on top of a database that you fill with data but they just have to accept the data you give them because we control the input of the data on our platform, I can actually grade the data as it's coming in and tell you if it was accurate or not accurate. And so if you're trying to make a decision about like some move you need to make, you can literally just push an accurate button and boom, now I'm only looking at accurate data to make that decision. But the not accurate data is just as important to your operations because that's what your manager should be looking at to go and start coaching on. Why was this not accurate? You know, why are you doing it this way? You got to change how your behavior is. So that's another big part of it is just having data. Now, 
one of the things like, you know, what's interesting is, is that most of our clients, especially our big clients that use the platform a lot, they don't like they started off thinking, I'm going to do a couple food safety checklists and a couple, you know, a readiness check here and there. And they were like, we'll have four checklists. That's what we'll have about four or five checklists that we use the platform for. They have over hundred, they have 120, 160 checklists that they built themselves. Because what happens is when you're like a big brand, that's over 50 states, you have labor laws to contend with. Everything that mm. they need to do to manage their chain from a risk, from a daily operation, you know, just in, in addition to just the daily stuff that's happening at the stores, but just managing their business, Ops Analytica becomes the platform that they use to do that because there's nothing easier to collect data from, you know, every one of your units on. We can just manage all of that stuff. And so it's amazing what our clients use the platform for. Yeah, I imagine I would have to put controls on it like I do with uh, Instagram uh, because I'd be so addicted to it. Like you wouldn't be able to peel <laughs> that thing out of my hands. Um, so two more questions before we land this plane. Sure. Very important questions. Possibly the most important questions of the entire uh, discussion. One, do you find it hard to use the word data in its plural form? Because I do. Yes. <laughs> the, the data are versus the data is. <laughs> yeah. So good to know. And then finally, the 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 pinnacle of the interview here. Uh, if you had one final meal, where would you eat or what would you eat and why? So I'm assuming I'm in prison. You only get a $50 budget for your final meal in prison. Which I did is not, not going to work for me. Yeah, no, apparently that's the deal. No. Well, that's um, yeah, I know. And that suck. Okay. So, um, it's 100% going to involve King crab. Um, I would say my final meal. Okay. Well, first of all, I had, we went to France last summer. I had the best breakfast of my life in this castle. So I'm tempted to say that, but I'm going to move on. It would be a really good French bread with amazing butter, room temperature, butter has to be room temperature. I want a, uh, I want a wedge salad. Then, oh, wait, hold on. What are, oh, cream of crab soup as my appetizer. Wedge salad as my salad course. Prime rib from the prime rib restaurant in LA that they cut in that big gold, like, uh, like that awesome, like gold thing that they have that brings yep. the prime rib to their table and cuts it. King crab legs. But I want them, uh, I want them, uh, I want it like de shelled so I don't cut my hands, right? Yeah, yeah. You know? A lot of dunking butter for that. And then for my dessert, I'm going to have to say, oh, uh, asparagus with that as well. Obviously, I need a vegetable. Yeah. Uh, and um, a baked potato with lots of butter. As you can tell, I'm addicted to butter. Yeah. <laughs> when I sell this company, I'm going to turn a TV show that's all about the best butter in the world. I'm just going to travel the earth finding butter that I like. But it'll be a baked potato with butter, scallions, and uh, bacon. And then for dessert, it's going to be pound cake. Mm. My mother-in-law makes a seriously good pound cake with whipped cream. I love it. So I will say, um, for those that don't understand the majesty of butter, um, <sighs> it, there are notable differences, especially when you get outside of our uh, United States grocery stores. Oh, yeah. Um, so one in particular, I encourage you, you sound like you travel a lot, to visit the... Uh, islands of the Azores and, um, they're just off the coast of, uh, actually in between Portugal and, and, and the United States. Um, so kind of right dead center in the Atlantic, they are known for 
their dairy as well as their really? seafood. And their butter there was, I thought it was cheese at first. Um, and I looked at my wife, I'm like, is this cheese? She's like, I think it's butter. I'm like, Oh man. And probably could have seen the cow sitting right next to the restaurant kind of thing. So amazing. That is quite the feast as your final uh, meal. (laughs) Um, Tommy, how can people connect with you? Uh, where can they find you on social and the uh, digital universe? So I'm on LinkedIn because I got addicted like yourself to Instagram and I just, I had to stop because I just couldn't handle it anymore. I'm not like disciplined enough. So you can grab me on LinkedIn, uh, Tommy Yanoulis. You can go to opsanalytica.co and then please, if you go there, just, uh, you can put in a contact form or reach out or grab me on LinkedIn. Um, I would love just to talk to people like in general, I learned so much from talking to people about like especially clients what they're dealing with like it gives me ideas on how i can better service everybody so even if you just have a question about checklist platforms what you might want to do does it make sense for my business any of that stuff we'd love just to chat with you like no pressure man you know awesome i love it we'll have all the links in the show notes tommy this has been fantastic thanks for hopping on the show with me and um we'll talk to you real soon yes sir thank you If you love what we've served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.